Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, and I am so excited for Christmas. We're almost there, folks. Today, I conclude the Advent series with some very, very old poetry. Poetry, in fact, that you're already familiar with. You likely sing a form of it or listen to it each year. Today, I'm looking at Old English and Middle English translations of the great O Antiphons, better known to us today as the foundation of the wonderful Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Let's look for the day spring, the dawn, the sun of justice. Before I begin, I want to say one thing. On my website, oldbookswithgrace.com or via social media, you can directly support me and this podcast through Buy Me a Coffee. If you've been enjoying this series, and only if you've got ample resources and feel moved to do so, I'd appreciate your financial support so I can keep this podcast going strong. Thanks for considering it. Now back to the day spring. I hope as proper nerds listening to an old books podcast, you have all read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Two Towers. Reach back with me for a moment in your mind to Frodo and Sam's journey into Mordor. In the darkest cavern of Middle-earth, the great spider Shelob's lair, Frodo and Sam are in despair. A creaking as of some great jointed thing that moved with slow purpose in the dark comes close. Sam stands next to Frodo, darkness all about him and a blackness of despair and anger in his heart. When Sam remembers the star glass and calls to Frodo to pull out the gift of Galadriel, slowly Frodo holds aloft the file that contains the light of Erendil the star. For a moment, it glimmered, faint as a rising star struggling in heavy earthward mists, and then, as its power waxed and hope grew in Frodo's mind, it began to burn and kindled to a silver flame, a minute heart of dazzling light, as though Erendil himself had come down from the high sunset paths with the last Silmaril on his brow." Frodo gazed in wonder at this marvelous gift he had so long carried, not guessing its full worth and potency. Aya Erendil, Elenian, and Kalima, he cried. Shelob at first comes closer, but Frodo steadily holds the star up and takes up his sword, and Shelob quails at last. Tolkien writes, No brightness so deadly had ever afflicted her eyes before. From sun and moon and star and earth, they had been safe underground, but now a star had descended into the very earth. I love those last lines, that she had been safe from sources of light, but now a star had descended into the very earth. In this language, the starlight is incarnational, Light divine, suddenly in earth, God in dust. And in its descent to earth, it comes to free Frodo and Sam from Gollum's trap and to illuminate the dark paths on which they tread. Yet as one might expect from J.R.R. Tolkien, it goes even deeper. 
Tolkien mined the star slash elf name Erendil from an ancient source. The Old English poems that are poetic translations and expansions of the even more ancient Latin great O antiphons. In these poems, Erendil is a name for Christ. Let's dive into these O antiphons together. An antiphon is a kind of short verse, chanted or even sung, in liturgy, often before or after the psalms. Very often, antiphons are multi-part, with different people singing or chanting different lines with a response. They are an ancient form of worship with roots in Jewish practice, popularized for Christian liturgy by St. Ambrose and Gregory the Great. The great O antiphons have their roots in Italy in the 6th century. For you medieval or philosophy nerds out there, the theologian philosopher Boethius appears to partially quote them in his Consolation of Philosophy, written in the year 523 during his imprisonment by King Theodoric in northern Italy. Of course, given their origin, they were originally written in Latin. They consist of a set of addresses to Christ by different names, Emmanuel, Wisdom, Lord, Root of Jesse, Key of David, King of Nations, Dayspring. Each was sung on a different day leading up to Christmas from December 17th through 23rd. And together, their titles in Latin spell out an acrostic, erocras, meaning tomorrow I will be there, making the whole thing an elaborate word puzzle, perfect for singing to the king coming on Christmas. Today, we're looking at what our modern O Come, O Come, Emmanuel translates as Dayspring in Latin oriens, east or dayspring or dawning. The historical church, always a fan of good symbolism, places this antiphon on the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, the day we most desperately long for light. Just imagine it right now. By listening, you are participating with 1,400 years of countless lovers of Christ by begging the splendor of the dawn, the sun, S-U-N, naturally a pun for us English speakers, of justice to come and shine upon us. For most of these 14 to 1,500 years before the advent of electricity, this day was short and dark indeed. Here's the basic English translation of the ancient Latin. O rising dawn, radiance of light eternal and sun of justice, come, enlighten those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. This short prayer to Jesus draws upon deep scriptural wells. From the radiance and justice of true light prophesied of the coming Messiah in Hebrew prophets like Habakkuk, Zechariah, and Malachi, to the prayers and promises of light for those in the shadow of darkness and death in Psalm 107, to Zechariah's prophecy about his own son, John the Baptist, in Luke 178, that this boy heralded the rising sun sent by God. All the O antiphons share the characteristic of being saturated in Scripture. No wonder, then, that they become popular sources of inspiration for poetic translations into vernacular languages like English, like our own O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Today, we will look at two, one from Old English and one from Middle English. 
this is a good time to remind you that Old English and Middle English, despite our common usage, are not the same. Old English, the language of a thousand years ago, the language of poems like Beowulf, is basically an entirely different language than our English. It's the bones of our English, but it sounds more like German to our modern ears than modern English. Middle English, in contrast, is the language I read to you last week from Piers Plowman. It's from the medieval era, predating Shakespeare's early modern English and the King James Bible, but similar enough to what we speak now that we can muddle through it without learning a new language entirely. So, on to Old English. And instead of reading um, true Old English, I'll be reading a, a translation to you. Eleanor Parker's translation from her wonderful book, Winters in the World, which I highly recommend. O Earendel, brightest of angels, sent to mankind across the earth, and righteous radiance of the sun, splendid above all stars, by your own self you ever enlighten every age. As you, God born of God long ago, Son of the true Father, eternally existed without beginning in the glory of heaven. So your own creation cries with confidence to you now for their needs, that you send that bright sun to us and come yourself to lighten those who have long lived surrounded by shadows and darkness here in everlasting night, who, shrouded by sins, have had to endure death's dark shadow." Let's talk about that intriguing beginning. The Old English reads, Eala Erendel, hail Erendel. Erendel is a rare word in Middle English, one you don't find often and difficult to translate into modern English. It's the word that this anonymous poet has chosen to signify the splendor of light beyond the light of the sun. And of course, it's the word that we've already encountered in the two towers. When J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a famous scholar of Old English as well as the writer of Lord of the Rings, came across this word as an undergraduate, he fell in love with it immediately. Tolkien shared with his biographer that when he read the Eärendil lines, he felt a, quote, a curious thrill, as if something had stirred in me, half-wakened from sleep. There was something very strange and remote and beautiful behind those words. Tolkien never quite recovered from that thrill, thankfully. So too this Erendel. In reading it, I feel Tolkien's thrill, the awakening. Christ the light is an ancient image. I am the light of the world, says Jesus himself in John 8:12. This light pre-exists the light of the sun or the moon. And John 1:5 says it perhaps best. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Or as the King James Version says so beautifully, the darkness comprehended it not. By your own self, you enlighten every age, comments the old English poet. Tolkien doesn't say thrill of hope, but that is what I immediately hear in the words of the famous Christmas carol, O Holy Night. When Sam and Frodo hold up the light of Erendil in the shrouded darkness and despair of Shelob's lair, hope begins to burn. And its hopeful resonances come out even more as we proceed into the Middle English translation of the Latin O Antiphon. 
I'll read it to you in the 15th century Middle English, but without my Middle English accent so that you can understand it easily. O Orion's splendor of everlasting light, whose beams transcend the common clearness of sun or moon, for we a very right, thee clep the bright sun of truth, right wiseness, with justice and mercy each wrong to redress. To thee we clep with all our heart and breath to light us that sit in the darkness of death. I think those lines are so beautiful. Christ is the Orion's splendor of everlasting light, whose beams transcend the common clearness of sun or moon. In Middle English, clear can encompass both translucence and the property of being sparkling or brilliant. And why does Christ's light transcend in sparkling brilliance our own celestial lights? The poet makes it clear, because as son of righteousness... Ritruisness, as he says. He pours light into our souls to illuminate a path toward justice and mercy. How often have you felt as I have that the way to knowing justice or mercy, especially in particular moments, is shrouded and hidden or crooked and difficult? It's a profound comfort that each wrong will be redressed, even or especially the ones I have committed myself. Light indicates the shining on wrongdoing, wrong thinking, crookedness, the correction of injustice, and finally, the gift of mercy. To return to Tolkien, the shelobs in the world and the spidery things in my own soul come into the light. The things that wreaked horrible damage to loved ones and to my own heart in the darkness of wrongdoing will be righted in the rays of the sun of righteousness. The dawn both heals and exposes, uncovers in order to heal. You may have noticed the Middle English word clep, C-L-E-P-E, which means to call, to cry out, and also to name. We name Christ bright sun of truth. And it is to this sun of truth that we call clep with all our heart and breath, to light us that sit in the darkness of death. And this repeated clep illuminates something I love about the great O antiphons, that they are cries out to God, addresses, insistent that he fulfill his promises, clepping, begging, hoping. In clepping Christ, the dawning of justice, we both call to him and prophetically name him in our hope. The name of the O antiphons, particularly Dayspring, Oriens, illustrate an anticipatory hope for what Jesus came to set right and comes and is coming. Hope, for me, is sort of the little sister of faith and love. We kind of ignore her, or we associate hope with optimism, a feeling that everything will work out okay for us, easy to feel when things are going well. But what if we are just not feeling hopeful? Theological hope is not really a feeling in actuality. The medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas writes that hope denotes a movement or stretching forth of the appetite towards an arduous good. For Thomas, this arduous good is life with God. We also hope for the advent of Christ. 
In his new book, Inhabiting Time, James K.A. Smith writes that hope for Christians comes in two scriptural refrains. The more familiar expression of joyful hope for Christ's second coming, Maranatha, or O Lord, come. And the bone-deep, aching call of how long, O Lord, which remains fundamentally an expression of hope because it hopes that the Lord is coming, though one is in the midst of great pain and death, though one may not feel hopeful at all. We anticipate the day spring. We clep the bright sun of justice. Light us that sit in the darkness of death. A final modern version of these lines are found in the words of the modern poet Malcolm Geit, and I highly recommend you look up his translations, which are beautiful. I love these last few lines of his Dayspring translation, which express the promise and fulfillment of Advent. Sleeper awake, the darkness was a dream, for you will see the Dayspring at your waking. Beyond your long last line, the dawn is breaking. Thank you for listening to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, and if you'd like to find out more of my work, I have a monthly Substack newsletter called Medievalish that's free and covers writers like these brilliant anonymous poets and other medieval and early modern folks. The paid tier of that Substack offers access to a book club in which I upload videos of myself lecturing in more detail on certain medieval and early modern works. Right now, we're reading Julian of Norwich together, and I'd love for you to join us. You can also find me on social media, on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD, and on Instagram at Old Books with Grace. I'd love to connect and hear your thoughts about the day spring or answer questions about old books. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd also deeply appreciate it if you left a rating or review on the platform of your choice. It means a lot. I'll be taking some weeks off to celebrate Christmas with my family and then return with more and new wonderful guests to talk old books. Merry Christmas. Oh,